You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. We are continuing in the book of Romans, so find your copy of God's Word that you have and head to the book of Romans, chapter 7, with me this morning. As you are getting there, and I'm getting there, it's a picture from Sonia from last week. I believe it's from Sonia. I don't think they're with us this morning, but Sonia did this. Last week, we were talking about just the when the, when the word says, shall not covet, and then just coveting comes, and she's got on the one side, don't climb on the wall, the one, probably the parent says, and then what do they do? Climb on the wall. And there's one other one, there it is, it's, it's just that, as simple as don't touch that jar, and then it's just one finger won't hurt, and I can tell stories about Peter now, because he's so young, he'll probably never hear this, but this is Peter. This is Peter yesterday with a cord. It's just, Peter, don't touch that. He's eight months, and it's just that hand is just out there. I thought, man, this is just the, the illustration of this, but Sonia drew that, and I, I appreciate it. Just that, don't do that, and just within us says, well, that is the thing I must do. All right, well, we're in, in this passage on the law and the opportunity of sin, the commandment, and I want to. we're going to look at particularly verses 13 through 20 this morning. I'm just going to start back in verse 7. So hopefully you're in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to start at verse 7 just to kind of get us into it, and then the bulk of our, our study is really 13 through 20. So Paul says, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? No, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, But I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not, now, okay, verse 16, I got to read this, this is hard. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Let's pray again. 
Father, here we are in your word, together, gathered. We want to trust your spirit who has written this word through men of old, preserved it for us, that you, Lord, would bring understanding to our hearts, encouragement, strength to walk with you in these days, Lord, where we groan and we will look forward to your return and our new bodies one day. Lord, we thank you for the promise and the hope and the already work you're doing. Lord, would you guide us as we study this in the work you have yet to do in us that we might understand what you have written. We pray this in your name. Amen. There is debate among scholars and Christians in general over what we've just read in chapter 7. Really, the passage that we're in, this verses 13 or 14 through 20, is pretty central to this debate. And here's the question for the scholars, or just general, just Christians, doesn't have to be scholarly, but the question. Is Paul, in in the bulk of what we're going to study in verses 13 through 20 or 14 through 20, however you kind of delineate it, is he describing life here in terms of one who is regenerate, that is, one who has been born again by the Holy Spirit to belief in Christ, that is, is he describing a Christian, or is Paul speaking in terms of the past, like before one comes to Christ, we'll call it, that's the unregenerate one. Paul doesn't just come out and say, okay, just a reminder, here is who I'm talking about. So we must infer from the passage just, Paul, who do you have in mind here? Which is then going to affect how, or affect how we interpret and how we apply this passage. So let me lay out a few quick arguments for kind of both viewpoints here. First, the viewpoint that this is, this is Paul addressing the non-Christian, the unregenerate. Okay, is, is that what Paul has in mind with, with this verses 13 through 20? Couple, couple things in this, the favor of this view. Number one, the language at times sounds like that of the unregenerate. So Paul mentions some things that in other places he deems uh, untrue of believers, like verse 17 in our passage, or verse 20 where it talks about this sin dwelling within. And, or in verse 14, he's, there's this phrase of sold under sin, which would seem to oppose what he implies in chapter 6, verse 2, where we've, we've died to sin. Or verse 18, you've, we've been set free from sin. And so he's talking about dwelling sin. I thought we we're free from sin. So there's language. Number two, the Holy Spirit appears absent, not absent in terms of writing, but just the mention of him. So those taking this view, they would see there's no mention directly at least of the Spirit's work here, in, in, really in verses 7 through 25. But then in chapter 8, if you read ahead, the Spirit is definitely mentioned. So kind of non-Spirit and then Spirit mentioned in chapter 8. Number three, Romans 7 Verses 5 and 6 act as an outline for chapters 7 and 8. Let me show you this. Doug Moo, who I've used before, takes this view and he shows this uh, in these verses 5 and 6. Look at them again. This is interesting. Uh, Verse 5, anyway, says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. And so verse 5 seems to indicate our unregenerate state, our living in the flesh, sinful passions, bearing fruit for death, which might sound like our passage today. And so 
So Doug Moo sees this as this is kind of a, an outline for chapter 7. And then verse 6 says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And then connects that to that releasing of the law from captivity, serving the Spirit, connects that to chapter 8. So kind of using verses 5 and 6 to kind of parse out, here's chapter 7 and then 8. In summary then for this view, it, and again, either way, this is an in-house debate among Christians who are looking to Christ for salvation. More scholarly minds than I are tackling this passage and they're landing on either side of it. And so I can see an attraction for, for that view uh, based on the text. There's some things in that favor. The other view, though, is, the, is that of Paul addressing the regenerate, the believer, the Christian. And this is the view that I would lean heavily towards. So it's the right one, right? No, it's, you, go, you, you, you can debate with me afterwards whichever way you think on this. Again, I'm not probably going to hit all the points between these two views. Let me lay out a few things towards my view that would be Paul has in mind the regenerate, the Christian here. Number one, the present tense. The present, you know, past tense, what happened, present, this is going on now. Paul speaks in the past tense, really, in verses 4 through, through 13. But then in verse 14 and onward, it's the present tense. There's this sense of currency. Presently, things are going on. And that's this, like, this presently is the case for Paul. So there's the present tense. Number two, again, some of these aren't from just gleaning from study, contextually. We're in, we're in a broad context of Romans. We've been through... Chapters 1 already through 6, we're in 7. But at 5, there's kind of this, this change, this beginning of, therefore, since, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, and there's kind of this, this outworking of the Christian life. And that heads into chapter 6 as well, which brings me to chapter 6. And even chapter 6 alludes to a, a sort of tension in Christ, of we who are in Christ. There's the glorious truths are our newness of life, we're no longer enslaved to sin. But then Paul will talk about, he says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Or he has an admonishment in verse 12 to do not let sin reign, which kind of implies there's an admonishment, do this, don't let it do this. So in chapter 6, there's a status of new life in Christ by the Spirit, and yet and admonishment as well, now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. There's, there's urgings, there's things to do. Number four, Paul's relationship to sin and the law. Closer to our text today, even in just how Paul terms this and speaks about this, it, it seems like the talk of one who is regenerate. One, Paul here, he hates sin. He loves the good law. He doesn't understand his actions, and I think this only makes sense as a believer who struggles with what he's already been delivered from. So there's this back and forth. Now, there's one other, and this is probably most helpful if you turn to the book of Galatians. And this, I understand, there's a long setup for this, but um, I'll be shorter on some of my points through the verses. But, but it's, it's helpful to think, okay, what's going on? That's the debate. What's going on here? So if you go to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians 5, you find Ephesians, you've gone just a hair too far. 
Chapter 5, who wrote Galatians? Paul did as well. And so we come to this in verse 13, and I'm going to read all the way through chapter 6, verse 1, and just just listen uh, as I go through here. Um, Even those who would see Romans 7 as Paul addressing someone who is not a believer, a non-Christian, unregenerate, would would also say, no, we still believe there's a struggle in the life of of a believer with sin. And so we come to this Galatians passage, and I, I, don't, I don't see it in the list of controversial, pa- I mean, there's probably controversial things within it, but, but not, we're not sure who Paul's talking to here. It seems like he's talking to believers. So listen to his language here in Galatians 5, starting verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the, for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Do you hear the kind of the back and forth? Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It kind of sounds like Romans 7. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think there's a, there's a warning here. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So there's kind of the back and forth. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And here's why I read verse 1 of chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This rebirth, this being born again of the Spirit is something real in the heart of everyone born of God. That's where we're looking in Sunday school class this morning. And yet even in Galatians here, we see this tension. There's a tension of in the flesh and in the walking by the Spirit, which brings me just to my last point, number six. It's this tension of the already and the not yet. Paul lives and wants us to live who we already are in Christ Jesus our Lord. But Back to chapter 7 here of Romans, there's a focus on the law, this focus, and he he dives in to reveal what I would say the struggle every regenerate believer has. It's a battle. It's the battle within, between our flesh and this new nature in Christ. These these competing realities, or to put it in 2 Corinthians 5 language, it's for in this tent, that is, this flesh, this body, Paul says, we groan, we already, 
longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. And I think you see in Romans 7 this groaning of the regenerate believer. Christian, are you groaning in your walk? We want to head back to Romans 7 if you're back there already and be encouraged in this, this already and not yet that the same temptations you face have been faced before. The struggle you have with sin, though each of us, we're going to struggle in different ways. It's a struggle every true believer will have until we are ultimately and finally home with the Lord. So now let's briefly, all that introduction. So I'm coming from a viewpoint of this is regenerate. This is the life of a believer. We'll work through the different parts of it as we go. So look at verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Doug Doug Moo points out verse 13 acting as a bridge here between what we just studied, that section 7 through 20, I think it is, and then, or 7, I'm sorry, 7 through 12, and then the bridge is 13 coming into our, more of our passage, 14, and then really to the end, verse 25. Paul's still dealing with the validity. He's still dealing with the goodness of the law by questioning. He's saying, did the law, was it the law that brought death? The the answer is no. Sin brought that. Sin takes a good thing. In fact, Paul's adamant here, it's a very good thing. It's a holy law. The commandment is good. It's a delight. And it turns, turns sin, turns the law against us. Sin makes the law this base of operations from which to truly condemn all of us in our sin. And so when the law comes, instead of holiness, sin comes alive and we die. And again, my thoughts here are led to the supposed plan of the enemy of God, Satan, to use the law to sow doubt, disbelief in the heart of man of God's goodness and his commands. Back to the garden, we think of the serpent, Satan, saying to Eve, Did God actually say, this is questioning the command, the law that they had at the time, one, don't eat that tree, saying, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And yet, Adam and Eve ate, and the world was plunged into sin, which is really, I think it's 1 John tells us the definition of sin, it is lawlessness. That's Satan's plan, turning the law here, and now we're into sin and death. And yet, in God's sovereignty, the law, what have we been learning about the law? It reveals sin. It reveals sin to be sinful beyond measure. So that as the law reveals sin, God sovereignly reveals to the sinner, reveals the sin bearer, and the ultimate law keeper who is Jesus Christ. Satan here This is maybe harder to understand, but he can be crafty, a deceiver, and yet he cannot thwart. Even trying to use the law, he cannot thwart the almighty purposes of God that will take place. His plans are sure. Satan is not ultimate. Piper has said he's on a a leash. God is ultimate in control. Look at verse 14 then as we keep going. For we know that the law is spiritual... Paul says, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. When Paul speaks here of the law being spiritual, that word can mean 
having to do with the divine spirit or caused by or filled with the divine spirit pertaining or corresponding to the divine spirit. The law is, in fact, of God. It's a divine rule. Yet Paul's saying here, I am of the flesh. You can write down this reference, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this. Again, other texts are helping us understand this. Paul says here, he says, But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual. Same word here, the law is spiritual. Paul says to the Corinthians, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Same word that we've got, same root as we've got here in Romans. He addresses them as as infants in Christ. And so here's a case for calling believers even, because Paul does, people of the flesh. And he's challenging the church at Corinth that though they be in Christ, they're infants. They're not mature. They're, They're needing milk. They should be on solid food. He's asking them regarding their jealousy and strife. He says, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? That's chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. And yet in the same chapter, verse 16, what does God say of the brothers, of the believers? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? I think 1 Corinthians 3, 1, you write it down and look at it later. I think, it's, I think it supports this notion of Paul here in chapter 7. He's got in mind the struggle of the regenerate one. So in verse 14, I'd propose here, Paul's just setting up this struggle, this back and forth, wanting good but doing evil, the spiritual law and the flesh. And so now look at verses 15, 16. See if I can read them. They're hard to, they're hard to read here. For... I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do, I was going to put my finger here, sorry. It's, it's age, I think, it's eyes. All right, verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. All right, here's the conflict of this inner man, the inner soul of the regenerate. The regenerate one living life while in this body of sin and death, the back and forth. Paul's desires, his wants, before a work of God, before God did that work, his wants were not, they were not aimed at what God wanted. His desires were of, of sin. But now he's got new life in Christ, begun by the Spirit in our rebirth, and it's plunged Paul into that of the new man with the remaining old nature. And so though Paul actually does what is wrong and sinful, there's yet within him, it's a new, it, the word is thalo, it's a new, a new desire, a new wanting. Paul wants to love the Lord. He wants to love his neighbor, to sum up the law. But his actions reveal something else. He's got the want, and yet I'm doing this. And so he essentially says here, right, in verse 15, I, I do not understand my own actions. But in saying that, Paul here, he's helping us understand our own actions and our own life in Christ as we wrestle with this. Think about yourself. Would you, if if a video was played, replayed of your actions, just take this last week, if it was replayed of your own sin, would would you find yourself in agreement with Paul? If you could look back on your life, saying also, I don't get it. I worship God. I truly love Jesus. 
I want to follow Him. I sing with my heart. I'm praising the Lord. Praise Adonai. Praise has come. I listen to the word preach. I want this. I want all of this. And yet on your Monday and Tuesday and by Wednesday or Thursday, you are back doing what you would otherwise say, I hate that I'm doing this. I want to have patience. I'm acting impatiently. I want to show love. Instead, I'm just showing hate or it's in my heart. Hate in my heart. This is Christianity, what we're studying here. This is Christianity for our daily, our Monday through Friday walk with the Lord. And I I think in a way, if you can hear it rightly, it's comforting to us. Verse 17 then forms one of Paul's twin conclusions here where he says, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's the question here is Paul using this now. He's, he's using sin as an excuse, kind of a loophole to excuse his not doing what the law says to do. I, don't blame me. It's, it's sin in me. I, I don't think in Paul we find any excuse to keep sinning, but, but an understanding of the battle that is within, that sin dwells in me, that though I'm released from the law, I'm raised with Christ, sin still remains. So Romans 7, rather than, again, discouraging us, I think it ought, to, it ought to, in a way, encourage us because it tells us there's a reality of indwelling sin. And yet, it's going to point to the reality of the victory in Jesus Christ. Verses 18 through 19 kind of reiterate this struggle. Much, we hear almost the same kind of wording here, and then a conclusion comes in verse 20. Let me read 18 through 19. Again, Paul For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Verse 18, Paul speaks of the desire to do what is good. And in the ESV, at least, it says he, he does not have but not the ability to carry it out. Now here you can see the tension. Here's maybe the tension of one who would say, see, here, here's Paul's unregenerate. He's unable to do the right. And I can see that, and, and yet I think though the flesh is weak, it's unable, the believer does have the spirit within. So he can walk in newness of life. And there's this tension that one can never in this life fully attain perfection. Some, some would see Scripture teaching that. I don't think that's the clear teaching of all of the Word of God. Maybe some would see that. You can eventually do right all the time. Perfectionism, no. I don't think that we see that. In fact, I would submit here, the closer we grow to love the Lord, the, the more, not less, we see our own sinfulness. Listen to John Murray who says this. He says, Indeed, the more sanctified the person is, the more conformed he is to the image of his Savior. The more he must recoil against every lack of conformity to the holiness of God. The deeper his apprehension of the majesty of God, the greater the intensity of his love to God, the more persistent his yearning 
for the attainment of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, the more conscious will he be of the gravity of the sin that remains and the more poignant will be his detestation of it. He detests it. The more so, the more he sees the holiness and glory of God. I keep reading. He says, the more closely he comes to the holiness, holiest of all, the more closely he comes to the holiest of all, the more he apprehends the sinfulness that is his, and he must cry out, O wretched man that I am. That's going to come in verse 24. And then he asks this, Was this not the effect in all the people of God as they came into closer proximity to the revelation of God's holiness? You can almost get a sense of Paul you know, in a dark room, just, just wrestling with these things. I, I want, I don't, I do this, and yet I do this. There's this back and forth. And yet, again, I would say, and I'm, I don't think I'm just trying to be glass half full, look at the positive side, but I would say th- this is bringing out and exposing just this, this true struggle that, that I think would characterize the one who is truly born again. Characteristic, different for each of us, wrestling with different sins, your sin, that. Not mine, but there's, different, there's all these sorts of different things going on, but the wrestling, the disgust that I, I, I don't want what the Lord wants, and I'm doing this evil, and then I want this, and I do this instead, I think it's an indicator of spiritual growth. And so verse 20, Paul reaches the same conclusion as verse 17. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Again, is this Paul making an excuse for sin? Paul would say, no, may it never be. He's simply acknowledging the indwelling sins, indwelling nature that remains in one who now sees the law is good, who delights in actually doing what, what honors God, delights in this. It's a heart of belief, and yet the sin remains. Martin Luther provides us a wonderful illustration of what this kind of looks like. He puts it this way. He says, original sin is in us like the beard. You know, we're coming up to no shave November. I would lose. It's just beards don't happen for me. Some of you have them, though. You're going to look at a beard differently. Uh, Here's what Martin Luther says. He says, original sin is in us like the beard. He says, we are shaved today and look clean and have a smooth chin. Tomorrow, our beard has grown again nor does it cease growing while we remain on earth. In like manner, original sin cannot be extirpated. That's just a big word to say, destroyed completely. Sin cannot be extirpated from us. It springs up in us as long as we live. God's word does not seek to hide reality. It's the beauty of the word here. Even the Apostle Paul has a struggle. And if we take this passage as evidence for the struggle, again, in the believer's life, we can take, I think, comfort here. Comfort that the Bible addresses our needs. It shows This is what it's like. This is this battle in life of one who begins to delight in the law of God and the worship of God, and yet sin continues to dwell here in these members. 
And Paul, of course, doesn't leave us here. We've got the next section we're going to look at when we come back to Romans 7 and this crescendo of the struggle. And it's okay to look ahead. Look at verse 24. For Paul to cry out, Wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we will come in to Romans 8. I want to close with a discussion that Wayne Grudem, it's regarding sanctification. He says this, as we close and look back, think on this, and think of sanctification, our growing in holiness, our growing, think of that, that progressive sanctification, growing in holiness. He says, once we have concluded that sanctification will never be completed in this life, he says, we must exercise pastoral wisdom and caution in the way we use this truth. And you could say that for this passage. Once we realize, okay, there's a struggle. Paul's, there's, a, there's a new want, there's a new desire, and there's an indwelling sin, and there's this tension in the back and forth. He says, we need some pastoral, we need some wisdom here. And this is helpful as we look at this. He says, number one, some may take this fact and use it as an excuse not to strive for holiness or grow in sanctification. You know, I don't, I don't have to. I'm never going to be perfect anyway. Why grow towards holiness? The, the Bible, he says, uh, it's a procedure exactly contrary to dozens of New Testament commands. Don't use this passage as, a, as an excuse to not strive for holiness. He says, number two, others may think about the fact that we cannot be perfect in this life and lose hope of making any progress in the Christian life an attitude that is also contrary to the clear teaching of Romans 6 and other passages about the resurrection power of Christ in our lives, enabling us to overcome sin. Therefore, he says, although sanctification will never be completed in this life, we must also empathize that it should never stop increasing in this life. Jesus' own words to his disciples on the night when he was betrayed and arrested, I think are fitting and worth bearing in mind here. Remember what he told them? He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is it's weak. But remember the context where Jesus said that because the context of is of Jesus submitting to the Father in this eternal plan of redemption, going to shed His blood on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God and impute to all that look on Him and believe on Him, impute to us the righteousness of God. So, spirit is willing, flesh is weak, and Jesus is heading to the cross for sinners who look to Him. So take heart, Christian, in your struggle with sin on a Monday, Tuesday, whatever day, Sunday afternoon, Sunday before you even left, Sunday right here. Sun, sin as we're worshiping, we're praising Adonai, and there's just sin or there's pride. There's just things coming up. Take heart in that struggle. Paul's going to say in chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Let's pray. Father, You are gracious. Gracious to us, calling us out of deadness, no life, no hope, children of wrath, and in your mercy and grace, giving us new birth in the Spirit to look to you. And then calling us and giving words of warning and words of command and words of comfort like we've got here in this passage to show reality, what life is like living in this this already and not yet. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you that the Apostle Paul doesn't simply say just... I'm doing great, live like me, go on with your life, I've never struggled. Or do we see Paul calling himself wretched? And we see Paul leaning and joyously looking, worshiping Jesus Christ, the Lord. Father, may we truly fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May we worship you. And Lord, may we not let Satan get a foothold when we find ourselves back in sin, back in that sin that dwells within. May we call out and claim the name of Jesus once again and our hope for eternity in you. We pray this all, Lord, in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota. 